0: best way to do life is to anchor oneself to the one who made us in his image, God Almighty. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. In this series, we'll take a look at men and women who walked with God. We will look at how God scripted their stories and draw courage from how he wants to script ours. We hope you enjoy. You know, I said it during first service, I want to say it again, man, I'm so grateful for our worship team who leads us in worship. And... um, I, the second song, I don't know if we've sung it before or if it's a new song for us, but I sat in my chair first service, and I sat there again today going, man, we might be better off bringing them back out and having them sing that song for 30 more minutes, you know? We'll just skip my sermon time, and we'll just listen to that song. What a beautiful, beautiful song. So um, I want you to think for a moment, and some of you might be, you know, young in the room, but... Do you remember what you wanted to do or what you wanted to be when you were a kid? Like, do you remember as a child, like, what your first dreams were, what your first thoughts were, like, what your, your plan for your life was? Um, I, I remember from the earliest age, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Now, that's probably the dream. Sharon Peralta was laughing at that. Man, it made sense at the time, Sharon. Come on, have some respect. Anyway, I just remember as a kid, wanted to be a professional athlete. And, uh, you know, as a kid, we watched the Dodgers. And so I wanted to be part of the Los Angeles Dodgers, you know. And, and as a kid, everything... The Dodgers had pretty much a set lineup every year during the 70s and early 80s. You had Steve, Yar- Steve Yeager at catcher. You had Ron Say at third base. Billy Russell at shortstop. Davey Lopes at second and Steve, uh, Steve Garvey was playing first base. And as a little kid playing baseball, I played first base, and I, I tried to, even though I was left-handed and he was right-handed, I wanted to be just like Steve Garvey, and so I loved it when my teammates would throw the ball bad and I had to scoop it out of the dirt or I had to jump for it. And so my dream as a child was to replace Steve Garvey. Okay, like That was my plan. Everybody else could stay. He's got to go. I'm taking over at first base. Now, unfortunately for me, about the age of 10, I developed a sore elbow. And so every time I would throw a baseball, my elbow hurt really badly. And that's really not a good thing if you're if you want to be a baseball player. And, and so as a kid when my arms started hurting, I had to quit playing baseball. And so I turned my attention to basketball. And, and so I, I, I also, you know, I loved the Lakers as a kid. And so now I knew, listen, I knew I was never gonna replace Magic Johnson or James Worthy, or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but all I thought to myself as a teenager was, you know what, if I could just sit on the bench, you know, like if I could just be that, that 12th man sitting on the end of the bench, you know the guys, when they call a timeout, your job is to stand up and get out of the way so the players can sit down, and, and you just kind of stand there, and you're moving around to stay loose just in case there was some miracle, You know, they put you in the game. Like, there's a couple of names I'm going to say right now. Most of you will have no idea who these guys are. But there were a couple of big dudes that just sat on the bench for years for the Lakers. A guy named Swin Nader, okay? Every time out, he'd just sit there and jump up and down like Kareem was ever coming out, okay? And that guy named Mike Schmreck, he was like my hero, okay? Because he was the 12th man on the bench, and he hardly ever played, but he was there. And so that was kind of my dream for a while, and so as a senior, going into my senior year of high school, you had to get a physical uh, to play sports. You still do, but you had to get a physical done. And so they measured me. And without my shoes on, the doctor said I was 5'11 and a half And I was like, wow, really? Now, some of you would be very happy if the doctor told you you were 5'11 and a half. Okay, But I assumed I was already 6 foot. And, and, and in my senior year, I did grow just a little bit. But here's the problem with being 5'11 and a half. There aren't a lot of 5'11 and a half guys in the NBA. And if there are if there is a guy who's in the NBA who's 5'11 and a half, guess what? He's a thousand times more athletic than I ever was. Okay? Like and so when they told me that I was like, "I nope, okay, this isn't going to happen." And so then I changed my my mind again. I'm like, "Okay, baseball's out, basketball is now out. Okay, I'll become a broadcaster." And so as a kid who grew up in L.A. here, I mean, I've lived a blessed life. I got to grow up listening to Vin Scully announce the Dodger games. I got to listen to Chick Hearn announce the Laker games. Even I'm not a hockey fan. I have nothing against hockey. But even the Kings had a guy, I think his name was Bob Miller, who announced Kings games like forever. And so we were so fortunate in L.A. to listen to those guys. And I thought, okay, Vin works alone, so I won't be able to work with him. But Chick, Chick Hearn always had a sidekick. He always had the guy that was sitting there providing like color commentary. He'd try to just add in. Chick did the, you know, the, the game, and he'd add in some stuff on the side. And so he always had somebody, guys like a Pat Riley or a Keith Erickson or a guy named Stu Lance. And so as you may have figured out, I, I, I never ended up a broadcaster. Okay? And so my story kind of turned again and changed again. As a matter of fact, so we had a, a young man who, uh, who became a member of our church last service. And I was talking to him before first service. Turns out, uh, him and I went to school here at the same time. Now, he was in elementary school when I was in high school. And so I was talking to him about, you know, the guys that were in his class. And I realized that if he had stayed here in high school, I would have been his Bible teacher. Okay? But he didn't. I don't remember why I was telling you that. Oh, because my story was changing. Because you know what? (sighs) Welcome to my world. Here's the reality. If someone had told me at 15 years old that I was going to end up one of the pastors at West Valley Christian Church, I would have thought that was crazier than me ending up playing for the Dodgers or the Lakers. Okay? That just not would, have been, that would not have been where I, where I thought my story was going. I thought it was going somewhere else. Now, good thing for me that I gave up for, for, on uh, being Chick Hearn's sidekick. Because that guy, Stu Lance, who announced with Chick Hearn 20 years ago, he's still doing Laker games. Like That job never opened up. Like, I'd have still been waiting. And so, anyway, we all have a story. And as you look through the Bible, we realize that the Bible is filled with stories of all different kinds of people. Some of them are good stories. Some of them are not good stories. Some of them are motivational stories. Some of them are stories of people that should be cautionary tales for us. Some of the stories are, are the people that you know, like all the famous people in the Bible that you know, like people like Joseph and Abraham and David. And then there's other people in the Bible that when you hear about their story, you're like, oh, they're in there? Oh, how have I never noticed them before? And I share that because just a couple weeks ago, as Pastor Rob and I were talking about today's sermon, and he was asking me if I could preach today, and he said, well, this is who your sermon is on. And I looked at Pastor Rob, and I said, Really? That person's in the Bible? Okay, and so if you've you've looked at a bulletin, you know today's story is about Abigail. And so when he said the name Abigail, I just was, I was confused. I was like, really? Okay. All right. So then I looked it up and I was like, okay, yep, yep, she's in there. Makes more sense. But no matter what your story is, as you look through the Bible, you'll find, I think, someone in the Bible that can speak to your story that can speak to our place in life. Do you feel sometimes maybe like God is asking you to do something that seems impossible? Do you feel like he's asking you to do something that's beyond your abilities? Then I'd encourage you to go to the book of Genesis and look at what God asked Noah to do. Like ask him, look and see what God told him to do and maybe take some courage from that. Do you ever feel and this may be everybody in here, but do you ever feel like the world around you is constantly pushing you to compromise what you know is right and wrong? Well, you know the Bible is filled with all kinds of people that have dealt with that. But specifically, man, take a look at the book of Daniel and look at what the life of Daniel and how he fought against that. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at the pressures that they went up against but stayed strong. To what God's Word says is right and wrong. Do you ever feel like you've blown it big time? Do you ever feel like you've been so bad that God couldn't possibly love you? And, and you'd be surprised at how many people come to church and that's exactly how they feel. Like, man, I've messed up so many times. You have no idea God couldn't possibly love me. Well, take a look at the Bible. Because the Bible is filled with people that really messed up. Like make you look like a choir, a choir boy or a choir girl. Do they say choir girls? Choir boy. Yeah. Anyway, you look in the Bible and you see like most of our heroes of the Bible, most of the people that are, that are commended for their incredible faith. You can also find stories of them really messing up, pretty big time. And so we should be encouraged by those words. Um, Max Lucado wrote a book that's entitled "They Walked with God," and in his book he says this: for every person. Scripture has a story. For every problem, God has a promise. For each occasion when we feel our story is coming undone, God steps in with a message. Just trust me, I'm the author and perfecter of your life. God is still writing that story today. And so today, our story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And um, as I was you know, looking into this story, I was starting to realize why I would never really paid too much attention to it. Because there's so much action in the chapters surrounding 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let me tell you what's going on. In 1 Samuel, Saul is king. He's the first king of Israel. And early on in his reign, he really makes a big mistake. You see, he's supposed to be waiting for Samuel to come along and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. But Saul becomes impatient, and the people are becoming impatient. impatient. And Saul's like, man, I better do something. And so instead of waiting for Samuel, Saul offers the sacrifice himself. And shortly after offering the sacrifice himself, Samuel comes walking up, and it's kind of like, oh boy, Saul, what did you do? How did you blow it? Okay, now I assume that maybe there was more to it. But you read that in that moment that God was rejecting Saul as king of Israel. Now, Saul ended up king of Israel for quite a bit longer. But in that moment, God was like, okay, somebody else is going to be king. And so as you read through the book, Samuel sets out looking for that, for that next king. And as you know the story, he eventually finds this kid named David. Okay, Probably the least impressive kid in his family. And yet David is anointed as a guy who's going to be the next king of Israel. And so in the story, David's story, we know that he becomes a servant for Saul. And then at some point we read about the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, a huge Philistine that everybody's afraid of, everybody's terrified of. And David says, man, I'll take care of this guy. And we know the story that he does. And he goes and he takes down Goliath. And so, as the story continues for David, he becomes more and more popular. The people are like so, like so enamored with him. And what happens to Saul? Saul becomes very jealous of David. Saul becomes bitter about David. And so now he's, not, he's so unhappy, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to kill this kid. And so, if you're, if you're reading through the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see that, that Saul has begun to go after David to try to kill him. And so, We're going to be in 1 Samuel 25 today, but in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we read about a situation that happens where where David has an opportunity to take Saul's life. You see, Saul's out in the field. Him and his guys are looking for David, and Saul needs to use the little boy's room. And so he goes into a cave to do his business, and it just so happens that David and all his men are hiding in the back of that cave. And David's men are like, see, the Lord is handing him over to you. God is giving your enemy over to you. And David's like, no, I can't harm him. I can't hurt him. And so in chapter 24, we read that, that after Saul leaves the cave, David reveals himself, to, see, king, I'm not after you. I could have killed you, is basically what he says. Then if you were to read chapter 26, there's another situation. Saul is asleep at night. He's gone to sleep with a spear and a jug of something, I'm going to say water because I don't know. He's got a spear and a jug right next to him, and he goes to sleep with it. And David and a couple of guys sneak into the camp. They take his spear and they take his jug, and, that, and David's like, hey, listen, if I wanted to kill you, I could have. Okay, So that's the situation that's going on as we're in First Samuel chapter 25. David and his men are on the run. They're trying to get away from Saul. They're just trying to stay alive. So we start in verse 1. It says, now Samuel died. Now that's a big deal, because that was the prophet. That was God's prophet to Israel that Saul and David had been dealing with. And so Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man and man who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. Now listen to these words. These are important to remember. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Oops, she is in the Bible. There you go. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, you know when it says he was a Calebite, you, like, you think, oh, that sounds like an insult. You know, like, he's a Calebite. But then, like the only Caleb I know is the spies. Ten were bad and two were good. Well, Caleb was one of the good ones, Okay. So anyway, while David was there in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it's sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So he's like saying, hey, listen, we protected your people. Okay, when they were out in the field, ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you, strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. And so David's in need... He sends men to Nabal, and what does Nabal do? Nabal basically just insults him. And so I was talking about this passage. So Pastor Rob and I, okay, I'm just going to stick with me. I was confused about this passage because I didn't remember Abigail in there. I was talking to my best friend in life, and him and I were at lunch, and I was telling him I was preaching on this passage. He was like, oh, yeah, Beauty and the Beast. That's a Beauty and the Beast passage. Because it says in there that she was intelligent and beautiful, and that her husband was surly and mean, Beauty and the Beast. And I'm like, well, okay, great name for the title of the sermon. Okay, so that's not the title of the sermon that's on your And Pastor Rob decides that, but you can just cross it off and write Beauty and the Beast. Okay? <clears throat> and so she's described as intelligent and beautiful. And as I was reading through this story, and I was thinking about what it means, it, it reminded me, Pastor Rob, one of his favorite Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, where it says, "...the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit." And we'll come back to that passage a little bit later. But, you know, David has just simply sent his men to have a conversation with Nabal. And he proves that he is surly and he is mean. And as I think about it, he could have politely declined. He could have looked at David's men and just said, you know what, guys? I'm not able to help you right now. And I wonder, it's possible David wouldn't have thought twice about it. Like if Nabal hadn't been a jerk, he might have been able to say no to David And David had been, all right, all right, I'll just ask the next guy. But instead, not not only does Nabal decline to help him, but in the process, he insults him. Like David's been in the service of the king for a while. David has slaughtered Goliath. Okay, Nabal knew who David was. Like he acts like he didn't know who he was, but he knew exactly who he was. Nabal was being rude and disrespectful for no reason. You ever have to deal with people like that? You ever know somebody like Nabal? Don't look at the person next to you, okay? But they have the ability to turn every situation into a tense situation. They have the ability to turn every moment into an awkward moment. Most often, they're doing it for no reason at all. And so what Nabal didn't realize is, you know, he disrespected the wrong person, okay? You ever ever accidentally insult the wrong person? Like you say something and you realize, oh, that person's your boss or going to be your boss. Or you go to get really mad about something and the person stands up and they're six foot nine. Okay? And you're like, uh-oh, I'm sorry. All right? You know, sometimes you, you might say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time. David was the wrong person to disrespect. He wasn't going to let that go. He's telling his men, okay, boys, get your sword, strap them on. We're going after this clown. All right? And that's where he's going. Nabal and all the people related to him were in trouble. So let's continue with the story in verse 18. It says, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. And she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. Now, David is stewing. Okay, you understand what's going on here? David is stewing in the disrespect of Nabal. Like, he's on his way to hunt them down, and he's just getting angrier. He's just getting more and more upset. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Like, David is is serious. David isn't going down there just to have a word with Nabal. He's going down there to put an end to him. So when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant... I didn't see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who were intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. And so in this passage, we see the wisdom and we see the generosity of Abigail. I I don't know if she knew just how much danger her family was in, but we read in there that it says that she acted quickly. And so she gathered these supplies and went out to meet David. You know what that tells me? Nabal had plenty. Like when Nabal said no, it wasn't because he's like, man, I don't know if I can scrap it together. I don't know if I can get it together. He had plenty of stuff because she gets it together pretty quickly. And As I read this passage and as I think about it, you know, when, when Abigail encounters David, she's humble and she's respectful. And she doesn't say it, but she really does say, with the words that she uses, she's looking at David and she's simply saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my dumb husband. Okay, probably a few of you in this room have had to do that before. <laughs> Maybe you can or you can't relate to that. But in this moment, Abigail has showed herself to both be wise and generous. And so then in verse 32, so as David said to Abigail, "Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak." Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. And so Abigail, what she gets from David is his forgiveness and his mercy. He sends her home in peace. And so if you were to finish reading this chapter, what happens is Abigail goes home. She saved her family, but she goes home and Nabal is throwing himself a party. Okay, and he is reveling in his party. He's had a little too much to drink, and so she decides, you know what, we're not gonna talk about this tonight. We'll we'll wait until the morning. And so in the morning, Abigail tells Nabal what, what she has done and how she has saved the family. And and okay, so I don't really know exactly how it goes down, but basically you'll read Nabal had a heart attack. Okay? Now, I don't know if he's so horrified by what his wife has done. He's like, oh, no, he's the big one, okay? <laughs> or, or is it because God has intervened, you know? But then we read that it's 10 years, it says 10 days later, basically God puts him out of his misery. And then if you were to keep reading, it tells us that Abigail became one of David's wives, okay? And so that's our story. And so what I want to do in the last few minutes is just share with you, I think three of the things that we can learn from this story. Three simple things that we can learn. Number one is, you know what? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Paul in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, I don't understand why we are so foolish sometimes. Like we think we're going to get away with the stuff that we try to do. I mean, Paul's pretty clear here. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, let me be clear about this. When I say you reap what you sow, God isn't a genie. Okay, so if you just do good things, it isn't like you're, you're rubbing the little thing and you can get, you know, your wishes from the genie. That isn't the way it happens. But all throughout the Bible, we read, and especially as you read through the Old Testament, you see this. God blesses those who are obedient, and God punishes those who are disobedient. Like there's whole chapters in the Old Testament about the blessings and the curses that come along with both obedience and disobedience. And as we look in the New Testament and we see this, that we see passages talk about if we love God, we'll obey him. And we read this passage where it says, we reap what we sow. And that's still true. Like it isn't just something that happens in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some of these people in the Bible that I go, was God making an example out of them? Like I don't know if Nabal was really that bad, that he deserved to be busted like that. You know, in the book of Acts, you read about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know, and I'm like, oh, boy, like God never did that to me, okay? And yet, you reap what you sow. He was a surly and mean man, and in the end, he paid the price for it. And again, this is a bit extreme. But on the other hand, we read that Abigail was not only intelligent, but she was beautiful. And by her actions, we see that she was wise, that she was humble, and that she was generous. And so Nabal was punished for his pride. And Abigail was blessed because of her humility. And she not only saved herself, but she saved the rest of her family. I can't promise you that everything is always going to turn out so well as it did for Abigail. But God's word is true. In our lives, we will reap what we sow. If we are sowing seeds of this world, then we ought to expect destruction. And if we're sowing seeds of the Spirit, then we can expect God's blessing. So my question for each of us today is simply this. What kinds of seeds are you planting? What kinds of seeds are you planting in your, in your career? What kinds of seeds are you planting in your family and in your home and in your relationships? Because if we're planting weeds, we're not going to get good fruit out of it. You reap what you sow. Secondly, and here is the idea that words matter. Okay, our words matter. And so with our words, we can either build people up or we can tear them down. Remember if you remember, as I read the story, Nabal was like, I never even heard of this guy, David. Like, that's ridiculous. Of course he heard of David. But it's also incredibly insulting. He's insulting David. He's being disrespectful and insulting. And again, I wonder. I wonder if it was without the disrespect if David would have just moved on. He'd be like, well, okay, he's not going to help, but I'll go to the next person and see if they could. But because of his disrespect, David's like, man, he's going to pay. And as you look through the Bible, especially as you look in the book of Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs, there's so many great passages that talk about the power of our mouth, the power of our tongue. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, starting in verse 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Like, I feel like we see that in this story here. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 18, 21, I mentioned it already. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And then Proverbs 19, verse 5, says a false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. You reap what you sow, and our words matter. And lastly, I want to mention this, that generosity is life-changing for all those that are involved. Abigail wasn't only wise, but she was also generous. And not only was her life blessed, but her whole family's life was blessed. And again, the book of Proverbs talks so much about generosity, It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Like, that's that's different math than our world uses. Because in our world, if you have something, like, you're taught to hold on to it and to not share it with people. You hold on to it. You hoard it for yourself. But God is saying, man, listen, when you bless others with what you have, I have your back. When you bless others, man, I'm going to take care of you. You will have more than, than you could have possibly ever had. And if you try to hold on to it, it's gone. All right? Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll reward them for what they have done. And then Paul in the New Testament, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9. says, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then towards the end of that, uh, verse 7, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when I was in high school at church here, I remember our youth pastor talking about this pastor's one time, and he's like, listen, God loves a cheerful giver. And he says he likes, it's a hilarious giver. He's like, so when the offering tray is passed, you drop your offering and go ahead and give a chuckle. Okay, go ahead and laugh as you're putting it in. It shows your willingness to do it. And so we don't pass the offering plate anymore, but today as you're walking out and you're putting some, whatever you're putting in the offering stand, go ahead and give a chuckle as you go past it. Because God loves a generous heart. You reap what you sow, your words matter, and generosity is life-changing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for people like Abigail. And I pray that you would use this series, Lord, as we look at several different stories of people in the Bible. I pray that you would... Just encourage us, challenge us, and help us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, I thank you for their stories. Thank you for our stories. And thank you that you're not done with us yet. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org, or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. And your love that you've always shown